start collecting them. Yeah, we'll have ushers come through in just a moment. Uh, you can write those if you'll just kind of wave it so an usher can see that you've got one. Last time we had about, oh, I don't know, 12, 15 questions. Kevin uh, McDonald's going to come up and help us. Come on up, Kevin. And uh, he's going to blend maybe some of the questions if they've got some commonality between them. In the meantime, we're going to give you a quick recap. Um, Sally, we can go back to the slide with the six categories of discussion and the tension between faith and reason. And so, Jim, start us off because rationalism was the first one you covered. Okay, and if, uh, if you think of a question after they've already collected it, just bring it up here and give it to Kevin. It's okay. We don't mind that. We started a series. We entitled it, Where is Your Faith? And our goal in that series was to give you uh, time to think and explore what does it look like to, to bring your faith to live it out in a variety of contexts. And you see them up there on the screen. So those represent all the different Sundays that we talked about it. The first one we talked about was faith and rationalization or rationalism. And we showed the uh, video clip from uh, Dr. Hawking who said there is no God because can't, he can't be measured or it can't be measured. And so we raised the question, if it can't be measured, does that mean it doesn't exist? And I challenge you to think about what does it look like to love someone? You can't measure love, those kinds of emotions, but I think we would all agree it exists. And would we want to serve a God that we could measure and kind of confine to a box? That's the wonderful thing about God. And then we went from there to work. Yeah, and work. We developed a theology more than we did very practical things. I know everybody's scenario is different. But in the theology, you go back to the very beginning of what the, the narratives tell us in Scripture. And uh, God brought order to chaos he brought us alongside and he said, here's your first job. Your first job is to be a co-creator with me. Bring order to the world. Do that. Bring dominion, bring strength, bring intentionality. Then he also brought life into the world and he said, I make you a procreator. This is your job. Bring life wherever you go. Every human being since then, as an image bearer, imago Dei, bearer of the image of God, has had those two primary job descriptions those two. Then, after the Christ event, we were added a third opportunity, which was to be Imago Christi, bear the image of Christ to the world. That's our third. So somehow, in there, as Christians, we were having to learn what that looks like to co-create, procreate, and recreate, be a part of the job with Christ. We went from there to education, talked about taking faith out into the world of education, whether you're elementary school, homeschool, high school, college, it doesn't matter. We asked the question there, is it possible to have true education without faith? And my position is no, it's not. And so we talked about how important it is to have your faith tested and challenged. That's what makes it grow stronger. If no one ever disagrees with you, then you're, how do you know your faith is real? And so it's good for you and your children to have somebody stand up and say, I don't know if I believe that, or challenge them. That's when faith grows stronger. From there, we went to ministry. Um, talked about, that was in the context, by the way, of Tom announcing his resignation, talked about the whole idea, are we as a community of faith, do we really trust the Lord to raise up mature people and then send them out as God sees fit? It's God's decision where people go, it's not ours. And so our staff has had a few weeks to process with Tom about his leaving, going to another church, and that was important. That's part of that's part of ministry is trusting the Lord. And don't forget, we'll be gathering out right after this service, have a little reception for ah, those guys. Point. And also tomorrow, we pack the truck 
So if you can come help or just be a part of that process, even in prayer, just to be aware that they're leaving for Illinois this week. Mm -hmm. Okay, go. From there, we talked about faith and culture. What does it look like to bring our faith out to this world around us? And we encourage you not to be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid to tell people that you're a Christian or that you believe in Jesus. They don't even know who he is. And what does it look like for us to represent our perspective of morals, our morality, to a world that is either giving up on morality or doesn't understand it. It's important for us to do that. And then finally, last week, we went to family, faith and family. And our families are the very core that stand us apart from the world around us. The way we relate in our families is very telling. It represents God to the world. When we relate together, this symbolizes the Trinity. People get to see it. So your families, if you raise them appropriately with faith, they represent God to the world because the world is dying. People are hurting and broken and they should look at our families and they should be able to say, that's what a family looks like. So that's where we encourage you to put a lot of energy into your family to do it well. Mm -hmm. Right? That was it. So those topical areas is where we would kind of be the jumping off point. You may have a question. We have a few, had a few in the first uh, service that were not directly related to that. Ushers, are you guys in here? Um, if you, does anybody have questions you have prepared? Wave those. I see a couple going on. That's Excellent. good. Come on in, ushers, and just grab these. Yeah, Kevin, you can grab a few. You can just grab them. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. There's a few around. This is really kind of a stump, the pastors, and you'll see in a minute how this works. Um, as the assistant pastor, I take everything that he doesn't want to do, and you're so going to observe So it goes like this. That. That's a great question. Mark, what do you think about mm -hmm. that? Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's how this will start here in a minute. You'll By the see. way, while they're collecting the questions, several of you have asked over the last couple of weeks if we would do put on some type of seminar on how to share your faith. Mm -hmm. We will be doing that. We haven't announced it yet. But what does it look like to live out or share your faith in a variety of contexts? Perhaps you're with a co-worker. Perhaps you're in a restaurant or a bar, somebody that maybe you get into a conversation with, or perhaps a loved one, a mom or a sister or a brother. And how do you share in a family environment? Boy, that's tough to do that. Mm -hmm. So we are, we're going to create a Saturday experience where we can get together for those of you that are interested and just role play and try it mm -hmm. and talk about different strategies. Also, these questions, may, you may see them again if you're on Facebook, because Jim was talking about taking several of these questions, posting them out for some conversation in there so we can massage this a little bit more. The idea. Kevin, on our what church do you got? Facebook page. So if you don't know where that is, go look for the DCC Church Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, what's the handle for that? Um, what's that internet? <laughs> How do they find it? What do, that, what do they go? They just go Google DCC. What do they do? Know what they do, Jason? Thank you. Search Dylan Church on Facebook. I don't you know. can see how much. I you're on there. I'm not on there. I, you're on there. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. What do you got over there, Kevin? Bail us out, yeah. will you? Um, so I'll give you one to chew on while we're getting the other questions in. But wow, there's a there's a, a lot that are on no surprise faith, uh, and I'm just trying to either blend them or just rattle one off. Um, here's one: If faith comes from God, how is it my faith or choice? 
Thanks. I, I really believe this is illustrative of one of the grand tension points in the universe where we experience something that Ephesians 2 tells us faith is a gift from God. And that's not the only, it's not just a proof verse. That is a posture. God gives the gift of faith at the same time human beings are held responsible for choosing faith. How, is, how are both of those true? Well, you're going to go around and around about that. You're kind of a dog chasing your tail there. The truth is, here's how we need to believe and behave about that. We need to believe that we have a part in this. Do not expect, do not sit in a chair in here or on your couch waiting for God to dump faith into your head without your engagement. And we need to behave as if we need to invest in faith. True now, faith changes lives. It totally changes. And any, who, any of you who have faith have had an experience of that. It's varied. It's definitely a varied position. But what we can't do is sit and wait if God gives me faith. You don't just sit and wait for that. I mean, it, that's the example of everything that we experience in life. We have to invest in it, and then after a certain point, it is truly God's equation. Um, the assumption, the assumption behind faith is that you don't know everything. True? That's the assumption behind it. And so God is infinite, and so because he's infinite, he could not create another infinite being. That would be God creating God. Hmm. That's illogical. It doesn't work that way. God can only create finite beings. Derivative. That's us. Mm -hmm. So faith is an essential part of our character, whether you are a believer or not. And in fact, it'll be part of all of eternity because it's part of our character. It's part of the way we're created, the way we're wired. Every one of us has faith. Everybody in all history has had faith. It's where does your faith lie? That's why we add up there, where is your faith? Right? Okay, that was a simple answer. <laughs> You're going to wish you had a simple answer. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, not a simple answer at all. <laughs> this is interesting. Is rationalism godless? And why or why not? Mm. Rationalism. You might have to re-explain rationalism. With the ism. The ism is the key thing. Is rational thinking godless? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Is reason godless? Without a doubt, no way. Is rationalism where the trust now becomes... Your faith is literally put in rational thinking. That's what happened since Descartes, right? Since the beginning of the Enlightenment, for sure. All the motion has been, we have to trust a reasonable process of something that we can measure. Those are the only trustworthy things in the universe. That ism, rationalism, to be honest, is God not in that? Well, I don't know that he's not in that, but man chooses to kick God to the curb and marginalize God in that rationalism. But they would define it as godless, right. but it's not faithless. No, it is not. There's a difference. You still have to have faith. Mm -hmm. You gotta have more to say than that, don't you? No. That's it? That's well, it. I'm, I guess I did okay with it, good. Way to go, okay. Okay, you got that right, by the way, I guess. I don't Sweet, know. we got it right. <laughs> sure. Uh, we're our he, own judges, though. Yeah. Literally our, our own judge panel. Kevin's got the answers over yeah, here. I was say, you, we should you, have you text in on your phone and say, yeah, that was a stupid answer. Okay, <laughs> keep going. Um, okay, faith for 400 is... Uh, 
It's a daily double, Alex. Thanks. Keep going. Got that. Is faith a Christian word, or do other religions also use that word? Second part, or is their religion based on works? Faith is not a Christian word. Hmm. Faith is a word that was existent long before it uh, was captured in the biblical text. So other religions use the same type of imagery and language, belief, faith, all of that, assent. So uh, what, what the New Testament did was it took this word and it shaped it around a very unique, unusual, and different belief system than the world had ever seen. That's what we know as Christianity. So Christianity, you've heard me say it, there's no way I can overstate how unique it is in all Definitely. the world systems of thought. Yeah. It's unique. There's a long list of how it's unique. Yeah. And so our faith is based in uh, the one true living God who has expressed himself in his son Jesus in everything that we believe about that. So it's not a unique word, but our faith is unique. What was the second half of that then? Oh, the uh, second half was, or is their religion based on works? Oh, works. So that's the other side of the coin. Well, of course, every religion has a system to it. And for there to be a system, there's behaviors in it. So there are works. Ours in, included. Ours included. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Every single religion has works in it. And the Apostle James made a very big deal out of the fact, if you literally think you can have faith without works, you do not understand what this is about. Because faith will produce an ethic. It will be, produce a behavior system. But the difference is, and this is literally the difference between ours and the rest of the systems, the basis for the final outcome of the experience of that faith in all the other systems is based on your behaviors, primarily. It is your works. It's your things that you do. And, and, of course, Christianity has been hijacked and drug into that several times across its history as a system. But the reality is the gospel, the good news of the gospel that Jesus, Peter, James, John, Paul taught was you can't work to get this anyways. It starts with faith. Works are a, an outcome. Is there a better way to say that? No? Sure. The ink's still drying on this one, but this is interesting. If, and I might um, turn some words around, but it's, if faith is a gift from God, why does it feel like God has, or I should say can, take it away? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Run. Run. Run as fast <laughs> as you can. Simba. I, I guess I would... I'm, I'm stumped by the part about God taking it away. Yeah. I don't... It says, why does it feel like God has taken like it maybe away? Maybe it's the silence. Maybe it's the feel it's like... It's the silence yeah. thing like we experienced the in the first thing. service. Yeah. Sure. There, mm -hmm. There's no question in each of our lives, every single person in here goes through some periods of time where God is silent. And it feels like he's not present. That's not true. He is present. But he is silent. I mean, Jesus experienced that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So even Jesus did that. And so the question is, why would God do that? Why would he just go silent for a while? I think the answer lies in the testing of our faith. Um, when Paul, Paul said, when I am weak, that's when he is strong. And when we are at our weakest, when is that? It's when we're struggling in our own brokenness and we can't pick up the 
messages from the Lord. We don't sense what he's doing. That's when he shines the most. I think God stepped back and let Jesus shine because his faith was proven every step of the way. In fact, if you think about it, that's a part of life. You do that with your children. You don't hold your kids' hands every step of the way. There's lots of places where you step back. You're there to step in if you need it, if you need to, but you're very good about letting them figuring it out. Right. So, so a toddler's learning to walk, you step back and you let them fall. And that's how they learn to walk. So it's not a test along the lines of a trick. No. It is not a setup to it's fail. It's a test to grow. It's a test to grow. And in fact, you all know this, on an average Tuesday when the sky is blue and you're in powder, your faith does not grow. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. I wish it did. It doesn't. You're, you grow when it feels like God has pulled away. That's when you grow. What should faith look like in the millennial culture? Mm. Postmodern. Or, or what could faith lo look like in the millennial culture? Well, faith is going to look, in some respects, it's going to be the same with every generation, every culture, every time period. It's, it is a core belief uh, in this one true living God that shapes the way we live it out, okay? So when we talk about living out your faith, the assumption behind that is that you have a faith to live out. So our faith as Christians is in this one true living God who's expressed himself in his son, Jesus. Now, when it comes to living it out, what happens is all of our, uh, it's easy to see the differences in the generations, but it's true with every single one of you, the lives that we live are, are very different from one another. When I'm overseas, I learned a long time ago that there's a, there's a place where biblical principle stops and cultural practice begins. So when I'm explaining to people in Nepal who are brand new Christians, they ask me, how do I live that out? I'm done. Because if I cross over that line, I begin to make them an American. Mm. And that's the last thing I want them to do. <laughs> so at that transition, I become a facilitator, not an educator. That's a great question. Let me put you in groups and you guys start talking about it and you tell me how you're going to live it out. Well, if I, as a boomer, tell the millennials in here how to live out their faith, guess what? I'm going to make them look like a boomer and I don't want that. I want you guys to figure out in your own world what does it mean to take these truths? Do we really believe in the Trinity? Do we really believe in the authority and the inspiration of Scripture? I do. Do we really believe in the deity of Christ? I do. So what does that actually mean? So faith at the core, is going to be the same as far as our beliefs, but when we live it out, it begins to be shaped differently according to your worlds and where you're all coming from. And I see the kind of uh, resistant, almost skeptical posture of relative thinking and postmodernism. I see that as an incredible opportunity. Absolutely. I don't think that we've ever had one in the last century and a half that's better than this because everything else has been broken down. We actually know that pure rationalism, pure humanism, pure communism, pure any of those other isms, they don't work. We've got that established now. So the millennial generation is saying nothing you guys have done has worked in those models. The fascinating thing is, so where are they going to go? If they keep going into themselves, that's just, you're going to end up in nihilism. You don't, you might as well, you're a manual cut. There's no hope there, right? No. The way where you find some hope is to turn outside of yourself. 
And that's what faith looks like, is I don't have what it takes. I don't have the capacity. I don't, I don't have all of what it means to actually produce for myself something that is really, truly long-lasting, sustainable, and valuable. Where am I going to get that? I see it as a great opportunity. One of the questions we get regularly is, you may have noticed, um, why don't we give a lot more application in our sermons? <clears throat> and the, I, I struggle with that, having sat under 30 years of pastors or 40 <laughs> years of pastors who give application. The assumption is that you're not smart enough to figure it out yourself. And, um, and I just really struggle with that. The other side of that is the more application I give you, the more I'm shaping you along the lines of the way I think. Mm -hmm. What I want you to understand is a biblical principle. So we've talked many times about our goal is Romans 12 to transform your thinking. Mm -hmm. And you'll know what to do with it. I don't have to tell you that. You'll figure it out. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's a better teacher. Holy though. Spirit's a far yeah. better teacher. <laughs> I'm going to blend, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to blend a couple questions. If we fail to ask forgiveness for our sins, how does that affect our faith and our salvation? That's a great question. It is a great question. It is a great question. Mm -hmm. Well, when you, you have to clarify what you mean by salvation. If by salvation you're referring to eternal life, right. I don't think it does influence it. But salvation is a very, very large term in theology of which a piece of it is e eternal life. But you also have, for instance, the, the new covenant, the way we relate to each other. So if you're referring to your salvation in a bigger picture like that, then it does have an impact. Have you ever been around a person that's not a very forgiving person, for example? What are they like? They're harsh. They're kind of cold. They're distant. They're not your most fun person. You'd far rather be around one that just naturally forgives and moves into the relationship. So failure to forgive, I do not think, influences your eternal life. I think it very much influences the world in which you live in. That's how I... Or failure to confess. So there's not a... This is not a shame-based equation where you have to walk around feeling the impending doom of God whacking you on the head. And that was unique in Christianity. Incredibly unique. In the first century. The, uh, that was the good news that literally launched Peter, Paul, James, John to say, this is worth dying over because this is not the same as what we've had. And the good news is if you are walking around, I want you to know this, if you walk in your days feeling a burden of, gosh, maybe I'm failing, I, what, do I, what more can I do to make God happy? I release you of that. Not me. The Holy Spirit releases you of that. That's not the way that we need to walk from day to day. So fear of, boy, did I not confess this one? Did I not forgive that one? It's not that equation-based, which is what Jesus was illustrating when he said to Peter, Peter, how many times? 70 times 7? That's not a real number. That's not a 490. That's a limitless. It's a, forgiveness is available. Confession is available. It's, the culture is it's taken care of. You know, I do use shame. Well, I know you do. You know where, <laughs> but God doesn't use that. Oh so. no, no, no! Look at Jesus and the uh, <laughs> look at Jesus and the Pharisees. Right. This is where I, I never. I try really hard never to use it with believers because that's not the way God deals with believers. But one of my favorite questions when I'm talking to an unbeliever is uh, your perspective of Christianity. Is it because you've read the Bible and explored the claims of Christianity and have come to a reasoned uh, <laughs> view of that, or is it because you let 
people stereotype? And the answer is always the same. Why let people stereotype? That you should be ashamed of. <clears throat> because one of the core values of our culture is education. And here you just fell into the fundamental trap, the logical thinking fallacy. So I use it all the time with unbelievers. Yeah. And it starts a conversation. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This might be a quick one, because I don't know if you can answer this question. Does God, so we're taught to grow and develop. Does God grow and develop? That is a, that has been asked for several, well, for a thousand years for sure. And you just took theology, right? So you can answer it. Theologians, this is one of the primary questions, is God developmental? There have been, for sure since relative thinking, postmodernism, there are a number of theologies that are based on that. And it's because of the question of time. Is God outside of time, and he created a system that is based on time, it's linear, which now he behaves within that, right? Because God doesn't float in and out of here changing things like with wormholes and stuff. Time is moving straight ahead. So did God, was he outside of that, and he created that, and now he behaves according to it because he created it? Or was God always in time before it ever happened? I can tell you some very, very smart people have been debating that for a long time. So I think your first That's posture, not us, by the way. Oh, uh, so what? <laughs> That's not us. No, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just reading about <laughs> really people doing people. it. Really smart people. But your first, can we really answer that? I don't know that. Is God developmental? Some people say, what difference would prayer make if God wasn't developmental? If God didn't literally change his mind or some circumstances didn't change, what difference does prayer make? Some people ask that. That's a pretty good uh, question. It's a great question. Um, I, I don't know that I can answer that. What I trust is, again, I behave as if prayer matters to some level. It also might just be that I'm coming in line with what God's already plan was already there. That's very plausible as well. Um, I can't give you a real good answer. My, my tendency, this is just personal tendency, I don't know where you are, my personal tendency is to think that God was outside of time and has remained outside of time and now behaves with time because he built the continuum this way. But that's just, I just really choose that. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I would say that the doctrine of immutability, God is unchanging, that's misunderstood. Uh, what it really means is God is unchanging in his character. For instance, God is love. Okay, he is the very best expression, the perfect expression of love. The moment you say that, then God has created, created may not the word, be the word, because God demonstrates love perfectly, there are a range of options available. Otherwise, we'd all be robots. Yeah. Love would only be defined one way. So the doctrine of immutability, God is unchanging in his character, but because he is love, he has a plethora of ways he can relate to us and allow us the freedom to relate back in a variety of ways as well. And so God is more than willing to change the way he relates to us because he gives us the freedom to choose different ways of working that out. Even Jesus, when he became a human, Hebrew says he had to learn obedience. Yeah, he developed, he matured. He developed as That's a human. Because, yeah. I mean, God's not a human. So God became a human so that he could say, what is, what is all this about? <laughs> so I think he can develop in certain, within certain guidelines. Keep wrestling with that one. It's worth it. Yeah. It's really tough to kind of Probably figure out one which one more. the next yeah. one to pick. 
Sorry. Um, I'm going to do the one more thing on You got it. What did Paul mean when he said to die to self daily? You probably need well, more time. <laughs> well, look at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh, I'm sorry. We're all on. Well, first of all, the imagery that he's using, if you, if you go back into the first century, it says, uh, Jesus said, unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me, what they would have heard was crucifixion. That's what that meant right. to them. They had been very aware throughout their whole life that crucifixion was reserved for criminals and the low people on the, in the classes. The wealthy people were never crucified. That's not, they, they had luxury that the poor people didn't have. Mm -hmm. Some things never change. <laughs> and so crucifixion was a means of great shame and dishonor mm -hmm. because it was a statement that you're a criminal or you're poor and unimportant. So when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, that was a statement of being willing to become the lowest in the culture. You hear it all kinds of ways expressed. First shall be last, the last shall be first. So when Paul says, picks up that same imagery and talks about dying daily, he's really talking the opposite of when he says, make one another is more important than yourself. In other words, humble yourself through, through metaphorical crucifixion, mm -hmm. placing yourself at the disposal of the people around you and to God and to love them faithfully and to serve them and to care for them. That's how I... Yeah, good answer, by the way. Good. I like that. The, um, the other thing I would say maybe as part of this is it isn't about shaming yourself. Right. It is definitely not that. It's not... Um, it's taking a lower position. It is choosing true humility, which is a, a self-posture of I am not first. And we all could, if I look, went around, do any of us accomplish that? Well, no, that's something that literally is a daily event to choose that posture. I will not always be first. I will not always do what's best for me. And that's the culture of Christianity, mm -hmm. the ultimate expression of which was when God himself said, I will crucify myself in the worst possible. I, I don't know if you realize, a very small window of time in the Roman culture when there was really a, a profound use of crucifixion. Very it was short, not very big. Very not very many people were really ever crucified. They even came to the conclusion it was just it was terrible. Too, it's, too, it's horrific. We cannot horrific. treat anybody or anything like this. And uh, Christ gave himself to that position. But he didn't beat himself up. Right. There's a difference. Right. Okay, we're going to end on that one? Yeah, I okay. suppose so. That's good. Thank you for, uh, for your questions. We will, you'll see some of these questions more. We hope to do this two, three, four times a year as a church just to give you the opportunity to ask questions and let's explore things together. It gives us a sense of what's important to you. So, Kevin, thank you for doing that. Can we tell Kevin thank you? <clears throat> I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and receive the offering. And um, this is one of those places where faith becomes real. Um, don't just write a check mindlessly. Whatever level of faith you have, now's a chance to demonstrate it. It's okay to say, I was asked recently, is it okay to be rich? I said, yeah, it's okay to be rich. It's not okay to be greedy, but it's okay to be rich. 
So if God has made you one of those people that has a lot of capacity, praise him for that. Just stop and thank him. And then be grateful for the chance to help other people that aren't like that. And if God has made you one of those people that doesn't have a lot of money, if that's your life, be grateful for that. Or as Paul says, stay in the circumstance in which you're in. Stay humble. Enjoy it. Because God is good to all of us. And I would just like to say on behalf of the staff and elders, thank you for your generosity as a church. You're the ones that make it possible for us to do all the stuff that we do. And uh, we are very grateful. So thanks for your generosity. So good to me, you heal my broken heart.